Wasn't that a beautiful song by John Avet? Wonderful. Thank God. The Lord is so good to us, and we cannot thank Him enough. One day we're going to see Him face to face. To me, that's going to be the really exciting thing. Right now, we know the Lord by faith. We've seen Him by faith, but one day we'll see Him by sight. And we'll come into His presence. And we'll know who the Lord Jesus is in heaven. We'll recognize Him right away because He'll be the first one to welcome us in. Say, come on in for always. Thank God. Shall we just look to the Lord in a word of prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we come once again with anticipation when we have an opportunity like this to open up Your Word, Your precious Holy Word, and to read from it, to study from it, to learn from it, Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see the truths you have for us today. Lord, please, by the Holy Spirit, take these words and make them applicable to our lives. Just hide me, Lord, behind the cross. And I pray that you, Lord Jesus, will be glorified. And when we get home to heaven, that we can hear those beautiful and wonderful words. Bill referred to them this morning. Well done, good and faithful servant. We just thank you and praise you now in your precious name. Amen. You know, last Monday, I attended the funeral of my uncle, Ron Attridge, who is married to my Aunt Gloria. And You know, every time I go to a funeral, especially of someone who knows the Lord, I'm automatically happy that they're with the Lord, that they've gone ahead and they're now there with the Savior and with all our relatives and all our friends and all the people that we know that have already gone to that happy golden shore. And it is a great blessing. But it's also a sobering thing when you go to a funeral and you see the casket and you see the body there, the empty shell of the person that was living. That shell is empty because the spirit and the soul have departed either to be with the Lord in heaven or to be in hell. It's a sobering thing. And one of the things that I think about when they always talk about the person and how they live their life, especially a believer, you know, the question came right back to me. What will they say about you, Dean, when when you go? When you're in that casket, your time has come to go to be with the Lord. What will they say about you? What impact will you have made? Will they miss you among the people of God and the work of God? Or will you just taken up a seed? Just one of the trees in in the garden, but not a fruitful one. And so the Lord really convicted me about how short life is and how little time we have to be a blessing for the Lord in this world. And, you know, you can't get that time back either. Once those moments are gone, you can't get them back. And one day if we get to heaven, we might look back and we say, Lord, I wish I had taken more time to pray, more time to read your word, more time to serve you, because when we get to heaven, we'll be there forever with him. But the opportunities on earth will be gone. You know, life is like this big, huge hourglass and the sand at the top coming down, slowly coming down. It seems more fast and slow nowadays, but it's coming down and we don't know when the last grain of sand will hit the bottom of the hourglass and then your time is up or my time is up. It's sobering and it teaches us that life as we know it, as believers in Christ, what's really important is the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and his service. That's all that really counts. When the Lord takes me into heaven, he's not going to be concerned about what degrees I had, how much money I had, what kind of car I drove how large my house was, or any of these earthly things. We're going to, like Carl said, we're going to leave it all behind. And what counts is, what did I do for the Lord Jesus? What did I do for the Master? You know, our subject today is the subject of usefulness for the Master. Usefulness to the Master. 
And when you think about useful, the word useful, there's a dictionary definition that I really like that says that can be used to advantage, serviceable, helpful, beneficial, often having practical utility. That's useful. And that's what we want to be for the Lord. We want to be useful to the Lord. Now, what's the opposite of useful? Who can tell me? Useless. Wouldn't that be a sad thing if one day we go to be with the Lord and the Lord ever used that word? Well, I have to tell you this, but your life had no use for me. Useless. It would hit our hearts so hard. We want to be useful, full of use. We don't want to be useless where there's nothing for the Lord. And it's a choice we have to make every day. We can, can be useful or useless depending on how we live our lives. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Paul's second letter to Timothy. Timothy, the second book of Timothy, chapter 2 and verse 19. Second Timothy 2 and verse 19. Paul writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, had many things to say to him in 1 Timothy. Now in 2 Timothy, he's got more to continue. He's getting close to the end of the book. And Paul's getting close to the end of his life. And he wants to leave a blessing for Timothy to live by. And these are some of the verses that he gives him. For 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 19. He writes, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You know, this is a small section of the Word of God, just a portion of the chapter, but it's rich. It's powerful. It's challenging. And it's encouraging. And may the Lord open our hearts today to the truths therein that we may be more useful to the Master, that He can use us at any time, in any way that He chooses to do. There's four key words that I'd like to point out in this passage. Four key words that we're going to look at this morning. In verse 19, the word depart. In verse 21, the word cleanses. In verse 22, the first part of the verse, flee. And finally, in the last part of verse 22, pursue. And these things are the key ingredients if we want to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord and useful for His service. Well, let's look at verse 19. First of all, notice he says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You know, the context that Paul is writing here to Timothy, he mentions two men in verses 17 and 18. One is named Hymenaeus, and the other is named Philetus. Now, these men were false teachers. They had preached that the resurrection was past. They were giving false doctrine. And false doctrine, like he says here, is like a cancer that comes in among the people of God and leads people down the wrong path and astray. 
And so just as a side note, we have to be sure we know the word of God, that we're well equipped so we can fight against false doctrine and false teaching. And may the Lord help us to be encouraged to know the word more, study it more and be more more equipped in it. And, you know, down through the ages, there's always been a small, godly remnant of people that have stood true to the Lord. Whereas the vast majority have gone off the track, have gone the wrong way and taken detours, the small, godly remnant, Old Testament, New Testament, even present today, that are truly born again and walking with Christ, they have stood the test of time. May the Lord help us to be like those people that are faithful to the Lord all the way to the end. And you notice in this passage, he's talking about the, he says, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal or this inscription. And if God was to write an inscription today and he was to write it up in the clouds for us to see and put this verse, it's so powerful. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You oftentimes wonder sometimes when you meet a person, whether they're a Christian or not. And sometimes we really don't know what's in the heart of a person. God does. It says God knows those who are his. Sometimes we don't. Although as we were reading this morning in the seventh chapter of Matthew, and we were doing that on Friday night too at Mike and Jenny's house, and it talked about that verse in Matthew 7. If you turn back over quickly to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 18, we'll read these three verses that speak about how we can know if a person really is saved. Because it's the result of their lives, the fruit of their life that count. Matthew chapter 17, verse 18. The Lord Jesus writing in the Sermon on the Mount says to the disciples and the others hearing him. Matthew 17, 7 and 18. Sorry. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So many people go around today and say, well, we can't tell if that person's saved or not. We shouldn't judge, like Carl was saying. But we have to judge the fruit. And you can tell the root by the fruit. And what I mean by that, you can tell the heart of a person by the life that they live. By the words that they say, the way they conduct themselves. A lot of people talk a good game. They say, I'm a Christian. But when they go to work and they go to school and they live in the neighborhood and they go out to shop and do things, you can't tell any difference between them and the world. What does the the Lord Jesus says? By their fruits, you will know them. It's a challenge. But the root, the real heart of a person shows in the outward life. And so we can tell if a person is saved or not. And if a person says they're saved, notice how we should be living. Let those who name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. He says it clearly. He says it powerfully. Depart. That's the first key word. Depart. Depart from iniquity. You know, I think it's one of the greatest responsibilities and the greatest privileges as well to be a Christian, to be a born again believer, to know the Lord. We have the greatest privilege, but we also have the greatest responsibility as well. Because you notice, whenever you say you're a Christian to someone, 
They're going to listen now to everything you say. They're going to see everything you do. And guess what? If you mess up, if you sin, if you do something wrong, they're going to be the first one to say, oh, I didn't know Christians said that. Oh, you did that. And you notice they're not living by the high standards of Christ themselves, but they're good judges. They know what we should be doing. And we know what we should be doing. Depart from iniquity. That's the key. It's a great responsibility before the Lord each and every day of our lives. Do we measure up? You know, in the New International Version, it says, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Yes, there is no option. It is a must. It's a higher form of living. You know, I've been reading recently in the Amplified Bible, and I really like it. It's not really a Bible for reading so much as much as it is for study because it amplifies the Greek and it amplifies the Hebrew and it adds a lot of different words in to really give you the true meaning. And it's excellent. And this verse says, but the firm foundation laid by God stands sure and unshaken, bearing this seal inscription. The Lord knows those who are his and let every one who names himself by the name of the Lord give up all iniquity and stand aloof from it. I like that not only to depart from iniquity, but to stand aloof from it. Don't even get close to it. Separate ourselves from the world to the point where we're not desiring those things. It's a great responsibility. And as already been mentioned this morning, one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And for believers, it's not going to be a time where God's going to say you're saved or not saved. The saved only will be there at the judgment seat. But we're going to receive rewards for what we did for the Lord here on earth or the Bible says we're going to suffer loss. And I think it's going to be the happiest day and the saddest day for us all at the same time. Happy for all the things we did with the right motive, serving the Lord, pleasing him. Sad because we lost some of the opportunities. Some of the we suffered a little bit of the loss that we could have served him more. And we are not going to receive rewards for, for those things. But may the Lord encourage us that we have responsibility and we're accountable to him. And we want to live lives separated from the world. One person said this. He said, if you are a Christian, remember that men judge your Lord by you. Think of that. Remember, if you're a Christian, the world judges your Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, by your life. They're the Jesus that you see. I'm the Jesus that they see. And if, they want, if we want to present a true and correct portrait of Christ, we have to live it. You know, so many athletes, you ever watch these athletes, you know, they get up and some of them talk a great game. And you just think, well, they're going to be champions out on that football field. I think about that one player for the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, he was so confident. He said, they're not going to be able to cover me. And, they're, and they're, Rodney Harrison is not going to be able to cover me. And he was just ready. He says, I don't think I'm going to be able to cover you. I think I'll hit you real good. And he did, too. He, he hit him so hard in that game. You can't just talk a good game. You have to live it. You have to go out on the field and play it. And for us as Christians, so many times we our words are good. Our commitment to obey the Lord is good and to serve him. But our life doesn't always back it up 100 percent. And that's the challenge for us today. Someone also said, reckon him a Christian indeed who is not ashamed of the gospel, nor ashamed to the gospel. And I thought, wow, Lord, that is so true. I don't want to be ashamed of you and I don't want to bring shame to you. And that is really 
the challenge that we live by in our lives. So the first key word that he gives us here in verse 19 is the word depart, depart from iniquity. And it's not enough to do it when we first get saved. It's not enough to do it once or twice at a revival meeting or a special meeting like Carl Nutt came. We have to depart from iniquity and separate ourselves from the world every single day. There's a battle going on and we want to be victorious for the Lord. Well, the second key word is found in verse 21. And notice it's the word cleanses. And notice he says, though, first of all, in verse 20, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now, you can imagine if you were the Apostle Paul and you maybe you went into a house of a nobleman a rich person, and he took you into his house and he showed you these beautiful vessels of gold and beautiful vessels of silver and you were so impressed. And the rich man, you know, he showed him off. He had him in cases and, you know, see the beautiful things that I have. But then off to the side, there were other things like vessels of wood and vessels of clay and things like this. Things that you don't put up and show off to people. They're just common, ordinary things that you use in an everyday walk of life. You know, and he says some of these vessels are vessels of honor and some of them are vessels of dishonor. Bill McDonald suggests that the gold and silver refer to those who are true believers in Christ that know Christ and live for him and serve him. And those vessels of clay and wood speak of those who are false professors, those who just say they're Christians, they're nominal Christians, they're not really walking the walk. They're not living as a Christian should be living, not even saved. So may the Lord challenge us to be those vessels for honor. And we can ask ourselves, what kind of vessel am I? What kind of vessel am I? Am I the kind of vessel that the Lord delights to use to be a blessing to others? Well, notice the key to it is found in, the, in this verse. He says, if any man cleanses himself from the latter, that is from being anything that would defile us in our walk with the Lord, he will be a vessel for honor. And you know, we've heard it many times before. It's nothing new, but God does not use dirty vessels. He can't. He has to use clean vessels. Can you imagine if you went home today and you were going to have lunch and you took out a, a dish and it was dirty? You wouldn't eat from that dish. And then if it was a stranger who had eaten from that dish, you'd really not do it. It's dirty. You, I want a clean dish. And that's what the Lord is interested in our lives. He's looking for us to be clean, clean vessels that he can use at any time and that we can be a blessing for him. I know I would rather have a clean, common bowl than a beautiful, dirty china plate. No matter how expensive or ornate or nice it is, it's of no use if it's dirty and the same thing with a Christian Christian can look good. He can be doing everything. But if his life isn't clean, the Lord has to say, I have to set you aside and use somebody else. And that's the challenge. They say, I can't use you today, Dean. I'm going to choose to use Cameron today to serve me. And we lose the blessing sometimes if our lives are not clean, if we're not walking with the Lord, if we're not close to him, he'll choose to get the job done through someone else. And we'll miss out on the reward and the blessing. May the Lord encourage our hearts to be clean vessels because he knows our lives and we want to bring glory to his name. So he says, 
in verse 21, that we cleanse ourselves from the latter, will be a vessel for honor. And then he uses the word sanctify. This comes from the, from the Greek word hagios, which means holy, consecrated, set apart. And that's the kind of life that the Lord wants me to live and the kind of life he wants you to live, a life set apart for him. There's two things in the scripture in the New Testament that we're told. We're told to be separated from the world and we're told to be set apart for God. We don't give ourselves to this world or live like the world. We want to live like the Lord wants us to live and be holy and be clean and serve him faithfully. Yes, it's a challenge to our lives to be separated from the world, but we can't be victorious if we're dabbling in the world, if we're not separated. So many people don't separate their kids for the Lord and they reap the consequences for it years later when they're when they're not saved and they're not walking with the Lord. It's so sad. My Aunt Gloria is saved. Her husband was saved, but they grew up in a in a strict church that was very legalistic. And now the kids don't want anything to do with the Lord. And that breaks my heart so much. And it's only the love of Christ that's going to reach them, really, and show them what true Christianity is all about. That's the only thing that's going to reach them. And you and I have to be those vessels that go out into the world, live clean lives, show forth the love of Christ to others, and we can touch people. We can impact people. We can have an effect on people. But separation is so important. Look at the Old Testament. When Israel went into the land of Canaan, the Lord told them not to live like the Canaanites. In fact, he told drive them out. Don't worship their idols, don't follow their, their paths, their ways. But Israel didn't, they didn't fully do it like Adel said in his message on Judges not too long ago. They let them live in the land and pretty soon they mingled with them. Pretty soon they intermarried with them. Pretty soon they worshiped their gods. It was a downward progression all because they did not separate themselves and their children from the world. And the world has an impact on us. If we're not careful, it can really have a terrible impact on our lives. And notice he goes on to say, if we do separate ourselves and live for the Lord, that we can be useful to the master. I have to say it at least once because Mike loves this expression. This is where the rubber meets the road, right, Mike? This is where it's at. This is, you boil it all down to the most common denominator of this whole passage. This is what it's about. Being useful to the master and letting him use us for his glory. You know, I love that little book of Philemon in the New Testament. It tells the story of a runaway slave and a Christian master. And the story goes that there was a man named Onesimus. He was a slave and he lived in the home of his master who was called Philemon. And Philemon was a good master. He was a Christian. He loved the Lord. He was in the church there at Colossae and he, he sought to be a blessing to Philemon. Well, Philemon took advantage of it. He didn't appreciate his master. What he did is, we believe, it doesn't say specifically in Scripture, but he stole something from his master and took off for Rome. I'm going to the big city. I stole something expensive here and I got to get away because my master's going to be after me and I'm going to be in big trouble, but I'm off to the big city. And so he probably sold it when he got there. Probably a little convicted, but, you know, he sold it. And then guess where he ends up? He ends up in jail. And guess who he's in jail with? The great Apostle Paul. I love that because he could have been in another jail. He could have been in another cell, but he was right there with Paul. And Paul shared the gospel with him and he got saved. And Paul said, you know what, Onesimus, when you get out, I've got to send you back to your master. You've got to go back and make it right. And you've got to go back and tell him now that you're a Christian and you're going to live your life different now. And you're going to appreciate him and serve him. And you're going to be a blessing in the church. I'm going to send you back. 
And he probably said, are you sure you're going to send me back? Couldn't I go to another church where I don't know anybody that? No, you go back. You repent. You make it right. He says, OK, I'm going to send you a letter. I'm going to write him a letter sending you on your way. So he wrote him that little book of Philemon, that little letter. And he writes a letter and he says to to Philemon, he says these words. Paul writing, he says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable or useless to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. And I thought, wow, Lord, here was Onesimus. He was an unsaved slave. He was unprofitable. He did nothing of any value or good. And now he's saved. And Paul says he's not only valuable and useful to Paul, but he's useful to Philemon and all the Christians back there in Colossae. And that's a perfect example of what happens when a person gets saved. When you get saved before, you're useless. But when you get saved now, you're useful to the master. And now you can be a blessing. You can go back and tell other people about the Lord. You can serve the Lord and you can be a blessing. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. Be useful for him. And one day we're going to walk into heaven and we're going to shake hands with Onesimus and we're going to say, you're Onesimus. We read your story. Oh, and he's going to say, and yes, and here's my master. This is Philemon. And it's going to be great. All because the Lord is in the business of changing lives and turning us from uselessness to usefulness and making us profitable for his kingdom and for his glory. But the key is we have to be holy vessels for the master. So that's what it says here. And then he goes on to say further, sanctified and useful for the master. And then he says, prepared for every good work. You know, God has a plan for our lives. He really does. And he wants us to do good for others. Like Carl was saying, we're not saved by our good works, but we're saved to do good works for others. And in Galatians 6.10, it says, therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And that is a really great verse because he's saying when you do good, do do good for everybody, but especially the Christians, especially God's people, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. And one day when we get to heaven, one of the things the Lord will will say to us, he's going to say, well done. He's also going to say, as much as you did it unto these, the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Anything we do for the Lord, I mean, for others, I should say. Anything we do for others, it's just like doing it for the Lord Jesus himself. And he's going to thank us for all the things we've done for him. And we're going to say, when did we do it, Lord? Like it says in Scripture, you did it when you did it for the least of the saints. When you did it, when you did it with a good motive and you did it for me and you, you went out of your way to sacrifice and be unselfish and serve me. And that is what is going to bring honor to the Lord's name. You know, yesterday I was working here at the church. And I was in the blue room and I found something that made me start to cry. And this is what I found. It's a little cross made by the kids in Sunday school. Notice the garments of Jesus around it there. And they also have the writing on the other. So this is the way it's supposed to be. The writing at the cross. This is Jesus, the Nazarene son of God. And it was done by Ari, this little girl in Sunday school. And I'm thinking, Lord, that is the whole reason I want to serve you. That is the whole reason why I want to be useful for you is what you did for me at the cross. And this little thing touched my heart yesterday. It's still touching my heart because 
I don't want to lose the opportunity to be useful here. I want to be a blessing. I don't want the Lord to have to take me off the shelf and say, I'm sorry, I can't use you. I want him to use me more. I want to be more holy, more useful, more pleasing to the master. And this little reminder along the way helps us to remember our true motivation is for the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Yes, we can ask ourselves today, am I willing to do anything that the Lord asked me to do? Well, sometimes we have to put a little disclaimer in there. I'll do anything for you, Lord, but... Bill McDonald used to teach us, always listen to what comes after the but. Because whatever went before it is automatically canceled out by the word but. Because you say, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do, but don't send me to... uh, to a foreign country. I cannot be a missionary. I cannot do that. Or, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do, but don't ask me to get up in front of people and say anything. Or we all have the buts that we have to be careful of. It's the but. That's what gets us in trouble when we put anything in there. But when we say, Lord, I'll do anything you want. I know you won't ask me to do anything that isn't your perfect will and that you'll give me the strength to do it. Lord, help me to have a willingness to do whatever the task is, to make whatever sacrifice is necessary. After hearing Carl's message of the mission field, Lord, forgive me. I mean, so many times we complain because we don't have exactly what we want. We go to the store. We can't find our brand of cereal. We, we go to a certain restaurant and, and they don't have that daily special we're used to or whatever it is. We complain about the little things and the missionaries and the people in foreign countries are living on these meager things and, and they're happy and they're thankful. Shouldn't we be happy and thankful for what the Lord has done for us? And any sacrifice we make is really small. It's so small when you compare it to the huge sacrifice that the Lord Jesus made on the cross. That sacrifice was huge. Our sacrifices are little, but maybe we be willing to do them for his glory. The third thing that we look at, the third key word is the word flee. Paul tells Timothy in verse 22, flee also youthful lust. Now, Timothy at this point in his life was, was still a young man, but he wasn't as young as he was. But Paul still tells them, and he writes it for us today, flee youthful lusts. You know, there's a lot of temptation in the world, and our flesh wants to gravitate toward it. And that's why we have to be victorious over the flesh. We have to win the victory because we're vulnerable. And it reminds me of the story when he says to flee of Joseph. Because Joseph was there in Potiphar's house, and God blessed him and everything. And day after day, Potiphar's wife wanted him so bad. She had eyes for him and she wanted him. And one day she grabbed him and, and grabbed a hold of his cloak and he ran. And she had the cloak still in her hand. So she thought of an I'm going to accuse Joseph. And so she falsely accused him of attacking her. And he got put into jail and he lost his freedom, but he didn't lose his testimony. He didn't lose his godliness. And he was willing to suffer loss to keep his testimony for the Lord. Yes, we can realize in our lives today that the best thing to do when temptation comes is not to say I can fight it in my own strength. No, we're not going to be able to do that. We have to flee from it and then ask the Lord to strengthen us. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 
You know, I read a story. It's found in the November 1987 issue of Reader's Digest magazine. This lady, lady uh, Betty Ween, wrote this story. And it, the story is of a man who went to visit Sodom. And he's called a just man. It says, a just man comes to Sodom hoping to save the city. He pickets. What else can he do? Men and women, repent. What, are you, what you're doing is wrong. It will kill you. It will destroy you. But they laugh. They go on their way. But he keeps on shouting day after day after day in Sodom. One day, a little child comes up to him and she says, poor stranger, can't you see it's useless? Can't you see what you're doing is having no effect on the people at all? He said to the child, yes. And she says, well, why do you go on doing it? The man says, well, when I first came, I I was convinced. I was really convinced I would change them. But now I go on shouting so they don't change me. I go, wow. Woo. You know, we're living in this world. We can either change the world one soul at a time and be a blessing for the Lord or the world will change us. One of two things is going to happen. And so when we go out in the world and we mix with the world on Monday morning and we uh, have association with people at work, neighborhood, school, wherever we go, we want to rub off on the world. We don't want the world to rub off on us. Said another way, James said it, that we might be unspotted by the world. We don't want to get the spots of the world on us. We want to be clean vessels for the Lord. And then finally, in the last part of verse 22, he gives a remedy here. He says, not only flee youthful lust, but he tells us what to pursue. He, this is a fourth key word is pursue. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You know, these are the things that God wants us to do. He wants us to flee youthful lust, and he wants us to pursue these things. And the first one is righteousness, and that is living the right way. Living according to his standards, according to the Bible standards and not according to the world standard. The world standards keeps going lower and lower and lower. God's standards is still where it is. So when that happens, the gap becomes larger and larger. God's standards always here, but the world standard is getting lower and lower. So we should show forth a difference in our life because we are with the Lord and the world standards completely different. May the Lord help us to be different, to show forth his righteousness, to live by his standards. The second thing he mentions is faith. And that means believing and trusting in the Lord, despite the odds or the obstacle. And if we want to live for the Lord and we want to live holy lives and separated from the world and be clean vessels and be useful to him, we're going to have opposition. Satan is going to oppose us. The world's going to oppose us. Even our own flesh will oppose us. But the Lord says, by faith, keep going. Like that man, keep shouting, keep it up, keep going for the Lord. Don't give up. So many times we get discouraged and we want to give up. We want to stop praying for people. We want to say it's useless. I prayed for years that that person will get saved. Don't give up on the brink of a miracle. That person can get saved. That thing can happen you're praying for. You've waited all this time. Don't stop now. Keep waiting for Christ. Then the third word he uses is love. And that's God's overflowing love. And that's our motive in life is to live by his love, to be useful vessels in, in this world. And we can't go around judging people, but we have to allow the love of Christ to flow for us, from us. People don't want us to walk around like this. Oh, I'm better than you, holier than thou. That'll turn people off to the gospel. We want to live and we want to say, here is my savior. He's changed my life. 
I'm not any better than you. I'm a sinner. I've been saved and you can be saved too. And that's the message we have for the world. And that's how we can be useful for the Lord. And then the final thing is he mentions peace. Peace is the confidence to know that God is in control of our life. He's in control of our circumstances. He knows what's best for us. And if we yield ourselves to him and we say yes to the Lord, he will make us those vessels that are useful for him. And in the end of verse 22, he concludes it with this. He says, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You know, the Lord left us here on this earth and he left us here so we can be a blessing. And we can be a team. And each one of us is a team. And he says, we call upon the Lord, all of us, out of a pure heart. And we can be a blessing. And we should stand firm for each other. And you know, I need you to pray for me every day. And I need to pray for you the same way. Because we can't be victorious. We can't be useful for the Lord unless the Lord is in it and he's working in our lives and he's strengthening us. May the Lord help us. So as we conclude today, we see it's our choice. We have to depart from iniquity. And we have to name the name of Christ and live that way. Live as Jesus lived. We need to cleanse ourselves from the defilements of this world and be separated from him. And we need to be clean vessels, flee youthful lust, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And by doing that, we will be useful to the Lord. As we bow our heads before the Lord this morning, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior... You can't be useful to him. And so today can be a day that you can accept Christ. You can come to him today and say, Lord Jesus, I know that you died on the cross for me. And I know that you paid the penalty of my sin. And you took my burden. And today I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I want you to make me a useful person in your kingdom. And the Lord will do that. He will come into your life and change your life for eternity. And if we're here today as believers, our commitment should be to be useful vessels, clean vessels. And if we haven't been living according to the standards, if we've been talking a better game than we've been playing and living, Lord, forgive us. Help us to be overcomers. Help us to live as clean vessels in this world, to be useful to you. So anytime something needs to be done in your service, you will be able to pick us up and use us as a vessel, Lord. We just ask your blessing now and your help for the rest of this day and this week as we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.